tonight's reading is Isaiah chapter 38 and 39, and it can be found on page 722 of the Bibles. Isaiah chapter 38. In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order, because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion, and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I will make the shadow cast by the sun go back the ten steps it has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back the ten steps it had gone down. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? I said, I will not again see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. No longer will I look on mankind or be with those who now dwell in this world. Like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life, and he has cut me off from the loom. Day and night you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion he broke all my bones. Day and night you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a mourning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am troubled. O Lord, come to my aid. But what can I say? He has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Lord, by such things men live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you as I am doing today. Fathers tell their children about your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will sing with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the temple of the Lord. Isaiah had said, Prepare a poultice of figs and apply it to the boil, and he will recover. Hezekiah had asked, What will be the sign that I will go up to the temple of the Lord? At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift, because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, 
the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his entire armory and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those man say, men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. This is the word of the Lord. And last week, um, if you were here, I introduced you to something that you may not have ever realised that Isaiah had a crisis with the Assyrians, or more accurately, probably Hezekiah did. And there was a kind of a look at history, um, look at a history part of the world that's actually in the news every day of the week, including some of the stuff that was around then that's been destroyed as we speak this week. Although we're looking at Nineveh, Nimrod, which is a, a very close to Nineveh. Both of them are close to Mosul. But um, if last week was a bit of history, this week is focusing very much on one individual, Hezekiah. And uh, Hezekiah, if you think of the prophecies of uh, Isaiah 9 and 11, and you look at how he was uh, responding initially to God, you could have thought, well, is Hezekiah going to be you know, the Messiah, is he going to be the king that saves his people and brings all nations to worship the one true God? Well, as we know, he wasn't. Uh, that's only Jesus. But we're going to look at Hezekiah because um, his experience of being given what is in effect a terminal prognosis and how he, he writes a song, it's verses 9 to 20, and he thinks he's going to die, he's going to be struck off in the prime of life, but then he prays and God has his reasons for restoring Hezekiah to health. It is so that basically the people of God will carry on existing in Jerusalem, out of whom will eventually come the Lord Jesus. But in case you weren't here, we just need a little bit of, um, of refreshing. This is the part of the world that we're looking at. There's Nineveh, which is... Um, near where in Mosul, and Nimrud is kind of a bit further south. On the Tigris, that's on the Euphrates. And this particular king, Tiglath-Pileser III, he kind of uh, expanded the Assyrian Empire that size. Then Sargon II, right that size, massive, you know, it's almost to Q8 there. And then uh, Sennacherib in 705, um, once he's dealt with this lot over here who rebelled, he kind of deals with this lot, but he doesn't actually capture Jerusalem. He conquers everything else. This is what Nineveh would have looked like. You know, this is impressive stuff. They had the first professional army. They were incredibly cruel, as we saw last week, but they were incredibly well organized, and they managed to produce 
a lot of money because that would have cost a lot to build. This is what it looked like on the inside in the palace. This is an artist's impression. We know that today ISIL is covering sort of uh, the red part, although they'd love to cover the whole yellow part. There you are, there's Mosul. And uh, the fighting this week is in Tikrit. The destruction of you know, Assyrian artifacts is taking place there. This is what they did the, the week before last. And these things, fortunately, as I said last week, we nicked some in the 19th century and stuck them in the British Museum. So even though they destroy some in situ, there are some which survive. This is Nineveh, and basically in Nimrod they're destroying these with bulldozers. Now, we're looking at certain kings. Sennacherib is the Assyrian one, and Merodach Baladan is this dude. Um, he's the Babylonian one. You know, these are engravings of these people. We don't have an engraving of Hezekiah. What we do have is something almost better. It's called um, the Taylorian Prism. It's in the British Museum, and it gives you an account of uh, Sennacherib's um, uh, adventures, his campaign to uh, crush the rebellion in the West, and he mentions in there somewhere um, that he caged up, he put, he, he caged up Hezekiah, he, he shut up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. Now it's useful to kind of have some dates so that you uh, kind of fit it all in, because you may realise that Isaiah 38 and 39 don't happen after 36 and 37. It's as if 36 and 37 are the kind of historical period, and there's kind of like a kind of information bubble that says 30, 38 and 39 happened, you know, at a particular point, i.e. 702 BC. So, Hezekiah, uh, whoops, sorry, Hezekiah, he was a co-king with his dad Ahaz, and then he became sole king. Then Hezekiah becomes kings of Assyria. Merodach Baladan of Babylon rebels. They used to do that every time there was a new king. They thought they could, uh, you know, get free of their oppressors. Uh, Merodach Baladan has to retreat to the marshes just north of Kuwait, and uh, Sennacherib leaves him alone. And um, Hezekiah has been ill, which is what we just read about. Merod he recovers. Merodach Baladan sends envoys to try and kind of encourage Hezekiah to rebel along with the Philist from people from Philistia and along with the Egyptians, and they do, or at least Judah does, and the others say they'll help them, but they don't. Sennacherib therefore goes west, relieving pressure on the Babylonian king, Merodach Baladan, and um, he invades everything he crushes except Jerusalem. It survives, and as we'll see, Hezekiah lives another 15 years, dies then, Sennacherib, as predicted, goes back and eventually is assassinated by two of his sons. And as we'll see, the Babylonians eventually, well, we won't see, but uh, they do. The Babylonians conquer the Assyrians and the top dog now becomes the Babylonians, who eventually, as predicted by Isaiah, 115 years before, they conquer Jerusalem. So, um, chapter 38, that's all about Hezekiah is sick. He prays for his recovery. The Lord promises him uh, 15 more years. And then we have this account 
um, here of his experience, which is what I want to focus upon. And in that account, he has kind of sorrow about the shortening of his life and that he's off to the place of the dead. And he records images of despair which come to his mind. And then, when he is informed of his divine restoration to health, um, his response is uh, commitment. And um, he realizes that the land of the departed is exchanged for the land of the living. And he has joy that he's going to live. And then we have an explanation as to the means of his recovery. And then in uh, 39, we have these envoys from Babylon who have been defeated and they want to encourage uh, Hezekiah to uh, join an alliance to uh, revolt against the Assyrian um, rulers. And um, Hezekiah has his ego massaged and he shows them all his treasures of his palace and he's getting rather big-headed because he's forgotten that all he has has been given him by God, his life, his wealth, his existence, but it goes to his head. And Isaiah predicts that uh, God won't tolerate that, that although Hezekiah will live 15 more years, although Jerusalem won't then be captured, it will eventually the Babylonians, when they're on the ascendancy, they'll remember and they'll come and collect. So if you'd like to have chapter 38 open uh, uh, before you, we'll have a look at it in a bit of uh, detail. That's how to get stuff out of it. He mentions Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, went to him and said... This is what the Lord says, put your house in order. That's a term we still use today. In other words, make a will or the government decides how to divide up your estate, not you. And he says to him, you are going to die. It's a death sentence. It's as stark as a consultant who receives your test results and then tells you, with these opening words, and you know what's coming, I'm afraid. And that's it. There'll be palliative care, but that's it. Your end is in sight. It's obvious that death is no respecter of persons. It comes to all of us, whether we're rich or poor, great or fairly anonymous, young or old, fit or flabby, famous or unknown, it will come. Being inevitable, it's something we should, whatever our age, be prepared for. You never know when it's going to happen. On Monday last week, one of our godchildren had her fourth child born. On Tuesday, her third child of 20 months just died suddenly. No reason, at least, not discovered yet. You never know. Matthew Henry, writing at a time when infant mortality was very common and few people live much beyond the age of 40. Um, sorry, um, 
says, our being ready for death will make it never come sooner, but much easier. And those that are fit to die are most fit to live. Verse 2, Hezekiah turned and faced the wall and prayed to the Lord. Matthew Henry again. Affliction brings us to our Bibles and to our knees. Too true. And especially to the Psalms. And it's a psalm, a song that Hezekiah composed, verses 9 to 20. It's a record of the very personal dealings of a human being who's just like us. He just happened to be a king. It's his personal dealings with God in circumstances which many of us will experience. Verse 3. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and wholehearted with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, in the the writings of uh, the books of Kings and the books of Chronicles, which are almost a duplicate, they cover the same period of history and they go through all the kings, hence their name, of Israel. And usually the kings are baddies. And so this is the formula they use when they talk about the kings, both of the northern and then the southern kingdom. That uh, This is the formula. X began to reign when he was X years old. He reigned X number of years. His mother's name was X, the daughter of X, to identify her. And then, for just about almost every king, And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. But Hezekiah was an exception. His assessment by the writers of Kings, 2 Kings 18.3 and Chronicles 2 Chronicles 29.2 was, and he did do what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father had done. But of course he wasn't perfect He knows that the gift of his life and the time of his death are in the Lord's hands. As Job, who lived probably maybe a hundred years before, at the time of the Assyrians, as he endured much, even the death of all his children, he observed Job 1.21. This is one translation of it, and here's another. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I leave this life. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or a more recent translation. When I was born into this world, I was naked and had nothing. When I die and leave this world, I will be naked and have nothing. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. Verses 4 to 6. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says, I have heard your prayers and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city. So Hezekiah, who at this point is 39, and he was kind of really regretting that he was going to miss the opportunity to not only doubtless see his children grow up into kind of full adulthood, but he was also regretful of all the other opportunities he might have had in his life. Well, now he hears he's got 15 more years. He's not going to die at 39. He's going to live to uh, 
54. That's a good of maths. And he'll die in 687 BC. But not only will Hezekiah be saved from death and live longer, but Jerusalem, the city of God, will not fall to the Assyrians. And the inhabitants of the city, the remnant of the people of God, will survive. So that, and this is the kind of dominant kind of theme, so that out of God's people a king might emerge who will be not only their saviour, but the saviour of the world, which all nations will come and worship. Well, as I said at the beginning, there could have been hope that Hezekiah might have been that person. But, as we'll see, we know he won't be. It could have been, but it wasn't. It will have to be Jesus. Well, meanwhile, the Lord gives a sign, seven and eight, and then we have this poem. It's the record of Hezekiah's experience of his illness and then of his recovery. And it's written in the form of a song, hence it's really a psalm. Verse 10. In the prime of my life must I go to the gates of death. 39. Now, you're either kind of think, gosh, I'm fortunate because I'm a bit over 39. Or you'll think, that's a bit young. Hope I live that long. I'm sure that many parents would just love to live long enough to see their children uh, established in adult life, established with a mature Christian faith of their own, set up on a worthwhile career path, and married to another Christian believer. They'll have nurtured them, and then they'll see them launched as the next generation and they will have a certain amount of contentment. Which is why dying before that is a matter of sadness. In verse 11, he laments about not being able to see the Lord, presumably in the temple. He will no longer be with the living who dwell in this world. A loss, a deep loss. And then he uses a couple of similes. So um, he talks in verse um, 12 about, like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. We're to picture a shepherd camping out on the hills in a tent to protect his flock. He lives in the tent to protect him from the heat of the noonday sun and from the cold of the midnight air. And when suddenly his tent is whisked away from him and he's left exposed, that's what it's like to as it were, have your body taken from you and you're just left with your soul. Naked I came into the world and naked I will go. Another simile, like a weaver, I have rolled up my life and he has cut me off from the loom. So we're to picture a weaver with a loom like this. The shuttle goes to and fro, right to left, adding row upon row to the carpet until it's completed, until it's reached the desired length, and then the weaver cuts it off and rolls it up, and it's taken away. He speaks of his mental and physical anguish 
as he wrestles in the night. Day and night you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn. In other words, he was hopeful that the darkest hour of the night, the hour before dawn, would pass quickly so that he would be relieved in the daylight. But instead he felt crushed like a lion would crush a man's bones. I cried out like a swift or a thrush. That's the NIV's identification of these birds. The ESV says swallows or cranes. Well, swallows and swifts look pretty similar, but a crane's rather bigger than a thrush. I mean, it's probably only used once in the entire Bible, so working out exactly which bird it is is quite difficult for the translators. But it doesn't alter the message is loud and clear because birds make a great chatter when they are fearful and Hezekiah is afraid of dying. He mourns, turtle doves mate for life. One of them is shot, the other one mourns. It's left on its own. Then he says, my eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. You know, he realises he's dying. I'm being threatened. And he cries out to the only one who at that point can actually help him. Lord, he says, come to my aid. And God responds. And Hezekiah says, what can I say? Amazingly, God did not let him die at that particular point. God spoke through Isaiah to let him know that he'd get another 15 years. So, what's the appropriate response for Isaiah now that he knows he's got a guaranteed 15 years? I mean, if you've been given, for example, a death sentence by a doctor, and you see death coming, and uh, you know, you're preparing yourself, the end and then the doctor comes along and says they've heard of a new technique or they've heard of a new donor possibly for you instead of an early death you've got the prospect of a normal lifespan you are restored he says you restored me to health and let me live in your love you kept me from the pit of destruction verse 17 how shall we live if we've been granted such extra time, what would be an appropriate disposition? Surely, as with Hezekiah, it is that he would walk humbly all his years, verse 15. And that's energising. Lord, 16, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. He realises that he went through such anguish so that he might learn, 17. He says... Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. He's aware that a barrier that's been between him and God has been removed. 17. You have put all my sins behind your back where God can't see them and where he can't touch them. So between him and Hezekiah, they have gone 
doesn't want to be separated from God. He knows he can't sing God's praises and experience his faithfulness if he dies. He wants to live to praise God and to tell his children of his goodness. Verse 20, he's confident that the Lord will save him from death in 702 BC. And he'll live another 15 years and praise God in the temple in Jerusalem, the city that God will preserve. And then in 21 and 22, Isaiah acts as a physician. Isaiah's healing is a great visual aid. The Lord had spoken through Isaiah of Hezekiah's healing, and now the Lord acts in healing through Isaiah to Hezekiah. Now this is not so much a miracle, or if it is, it's a miracle of knowledge that Isaiah knows what to do, what treatment to give. But the word translated boil could well be translated carbuncle, which apparently could have proved fatal in ancient times. Now figs were often used as a kind of poultice to, uh, as a kind of softening compress and they were thought to be harmful to such boils. As one doctor has written, sugar solutions kill germs and draw pus. Sorry about all this at this time of night before our evening meal. That um, sugar solutions kill germs and draw pus by their strong osmotic pressure. People have used honey and such for years to clean infected wounds. He says, the figs were good. The poultice saved Hezekiah. The figs extracted what would otherwise be fatally poisonous to him. Well, chapter 20, 39, Hezekiah is back in business. It's 702. Merodach Baladan has had to retreat to the, uh, the marshes north of Kuwait. He sends envoys to try and get Hezekiah and others in the West to rebel so as to relieve pressure on him. But as we know last week, this is what Hezekiah does. And uh, Sennacherib moves West against them. But Hezekiah begins to forget all that he owed the Lord. He's flattered that these envoys from this powerful nation has, have arrived. And he shows them everything around his temple. He's showing off. He's forgetting that all that he has is derived from the Lord. And he shouldn't be claiming it as his achievement. He should not be trying to impress men, which is what he is doing. And Isaiah warns him that because of this, one day, 115 years from then, in 586 BC, the Babylonians, when they are on the ascendancy, just after they have defeated the Assyrians, so that they are the most powerful empire in that part of the world at that time, they'll remember and they'll come back to Jerusalem and they will ransack the temple and they will take everything of value off to Babylon and all the top talented people will go into exile. So there is, though, for a time, security for both Hezekiah and for Jerusalem. Hezekiah will not die for 15 years. Jerusalem will not be uh, captured for 115 years. Why? Because God has his plans that out of his people will come a king who will save them and all nations of the world will come 
to express their allegiance to. And that's why. But Hezekiah, he won't be that king. So as we finish, some application. What can we take away? What lessons can we learn for us? Things that might help us. One, remember that God has a grand plan to bring people of all nations to himself. A saving relationship with him, ultimately it will be in a new heaven and a new earth. And that will come about. God will deliver on his promises, just as he delivered on the promise of providing Jesus as a saviour and king. Secondly, within that, we are both small, but nonetheless we are significant to him. Thirdly, if we fall seriously ill, we are not immediately to think that our sickness is a direct result of our sin. It may be. If we misuse our God-given body, if we are into gluttony, if we are into the misuse of, of alcohol, if we uh, make the wrong use of plants and smoke them, then there is likely a causal link between our ill health and our misuse. But most of the time, our sickness is due to the fact that this is a fallen world, that things go wrong. Fourthly, if we do get seriously ill, we are to turn the challenge into an opportunity. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish, Hezekiah says. We can learn a great deal from times of adversity. We can be drawn closer to God and better see ourselves through his eyes. We can have our sins exposed and through confessing them, put them behind God's back so that they're no longer in the way. Fifthly, we are to look for the best medical means available to make us better. We have been given this God-given creation, and through that creation we can rectify some of the adverse consequences of the fall. The figs worked. Sixthly, keeping a record of what uh, we've gone through in trying times can be immensely beneficial. Some people call it keeping a diary, Americans call it journaling. But human nature is such that once the heat is off, once we're better, we forget. We drift off solo again. We detach ourselves from the Lord. And that can be dangerous. So it's good to keep a record so that we read it we remember and we stay close and walk humbly with him in his ways. And lastly, it's also so very easy to forget the lessons learnt in times of anguish. Sadly, Hezekiah did. It was pride which had caused the Lord to make him ill, 2 Chronicles 32, 25. But Hezekiah's heart was proud and he did not respond to the kindness shown him. Therefore the Lord's wrath was on him Judah and Jerusalem. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart and the Lord's wrath did not come upon him. That's what we've just been reading about. But he never successfully suppressed his pride. When the Babylonian envoys come to his court to try and form an alliance, he doesn't seem to mention the Lord's restoring him to health. He doesn't mention the accompanying sign of the shadow on the sundial going backwards 
Instead, he seems to pass off all that he has to his own achievements rather than to the Lord's gift. And rather than trust in the Lord's promise of life for him and Jerusalem, in the face of the Assyrians, he flirted with an alliance of Egyptians and Babylonians, an alliance against Assyria, resting upon them to support Judah, and so betraying God and trusting in man. God, though, kept his promise to Hezekiah and to Jerusalem because it served his greater and eternal purposes. Amen.